good realtor will spend three hours a day calling. This is not your typical boring real estate show. This is real estate marketing redefined, uncensored, and unedited in what's working today in the market minus the fluff. This is Real Estate Marketing Dude, because just having a license isn't enough. Now please welcome your host, the unprofessional professional, Mike Cuevas. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Marketing Dude podcast. Folks, we are um, getting on the second half of the year. And with the second half of the year, one of those things that you always want to sort of look at, at least I advise, is that every quarter, every half of the year, or even every year, you're looking back at your business and you sort of say, hey, where did I really make money? What were the mistakes and what were the areas that I could improve or just totally cut the fat away altogether? So we have a guy's coming on board today that uh, he's got a pretty cool story. And I see this happen times and time in the real estate industry with people. Um, a lot of the marketing and advertising and the stuff that we actually do spend money on, a lot of it's just to make ourselves feel good and flood our own egos. But we don't ever even look and see all the time where money is really being created and what's driving a positive ROI. And sometimes that just means that you got to find your niche and find your right spot that gets you excited about waking up every day and being in this real estate business, whether you're an investor, whether you're a real estate agent, whether you're a lender, home inspector, or a transaction coordinator, even for that matter. So I think we have a really good story today. We're going to sort of show you how that all is. And uh, we're going to go through his uh, story of sort of how he was an agent, sort of morphed back into an investor mode. And now he's just doing what he does. And it's very, very interesting. And I think there's a lot of people that are going to resonate to that today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, introduce our guest, Mr. Case Nackenhauer. Did I butcher it? No, you got it right. Oh yeah. All right. We got it right. Case, go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit where you're at, who you are, a little bit about what you do, and then we're going to get right on into it. Sure. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So I'm uh, out of West Michigan. I live in Spring Lake and work primarily Grand Rapids. So this is sort of the left side of Michigan, the west side of Michigan. So most people, and I don't know how this works with uh, the video, but they'll say I'm from this area over here. So we're from the west side. Sure. And I uh, know it's, it's good to be here today. So I've been an agent for almost five years, and I sort of followed the traditional path of calling expirers for sale by owners. And my first two years went very well and grew a team. And then I think we got to, and this is the interesting thing, so I don't even remember my numbers very well because so much was happening. I got really, really distracted. Um, but I think we had 12 or 13 agents. We're on track to do 130 or 40 transactions per capita sales or per agent per year seemed okay, but in hindsight, it really wasn't very good. And so I was doing my taxes two years ago and I looked at my profit and loss statement and I just realized I've had half my money doing flips and I did that like five hours of the week. And so um, after reading a book, uh, 8020 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall, a fantastic book, uh, I just realized that I needed to adjust my business very quickly. So we didn't cut 80% of our business, I cut 95% of my business and so I lost some agents because we made changes really quickly. So I did lose some people I wanted, but we very quickly trimmed the fat and transitioned our business from a large expensive team spending twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a month. And we trimmed our expenses by a huge amount and cut everybody that wasn't uh, actively producing. So we just switched that from traditional um, retail business. And now we are only flipping homes. Um, so I'll only list if someone basically says list my house, but I, I won't compete. Um, so if someone's like, Hey, uh, I, I can't sell to you at your price, but uh, you'll take the listing. 
in that circumstance um, or more, more like your close friends and family. You're just yeah, a full cl- close, investor. Yeah. Close friends and family. Um, you know, if, if they just seem like a nice person and easy to work with, sometimes I'll offer it. Sometimes the neat thing is because I don't rely on traditional real estate commission. If I walk in to do a flip and Mike, let's say you're in a tight position with your home and I just, I can't buy your home, but I really want to help you. Sometimes I, I take the opportunity to help somebody that otherwise couldn't sell their home. Sure. And so I, I haven't, I don't know, I no longer rely on a commission and I have a lot more fun in my job. But yeah, the moment I hear somebody say headache words, like I don't really have to sell, you know, let's list for top dollar and drop it, you know, hundred dollars a week or whatever. <laughs> it's ridiculous things yeah. I've heard. The moment I hear any of those big red flags, I just walk away and, and refer it out. Did you start out, did you get into real estate as an agent though, or as an yeah. investor? So you got um, in as, as an, so you got in as an agent and you went through the grind. First two years you did well, just prospecting. That's great. Most people aren't able to do that. So you're a grinder. Tell me this, this is year five that you actually looked at your, I want to go back to these numbers. So you, you do your taxes at the end of the year. Are you an analytical type of guy? Would you um, say are like numbers wise? So when you look at your taxes, cause this happens all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've done this and had like the every like December, I would just, or actually it's like January, February when I actually did my taxes, but I would just like puke. Cause I'd be like, what the hell did I do? One year I did this. I used to buy all my clients closing gifts and I thought I was doing the right thing. In Illinois, I used to, it was a $400 attorney fee, which is basically like the like holy grail of law. Like the easiest transaction you ever do is sit in and read someone what the hell their fucking mortgage says. And yeah. They get paid $400. So me being the nice guy, I thought that I was, everyone would just love me if I just start picking up these attorney fees until I looked at the end of the year and I'm like, holy crap, I just spent $27,000 on attorney's fees and no one remembered any of it. So it was really bad money spent. I would have been better off buying them a $100 bonsai tree and putting it in their damn kitchen <laughs> than spending the $400 on the attorney thing. But I did the same thing. I looked at my business and I said, holy crap, I can't be doing this anymore. I got to do something a little bit more impactful. And far often, you guys, none of us do that because you guys are entrepreneurs. You're running a business. So let me get more into this because uh, you made a conscious decision. This is what we call niching down, folks. Not a, real estate is not a generalist type business. The generalists are the ones who go out of business. Those are the 87% after five years because everybody tries to cater to everyone. You resonate with absolutely nobody. If you don't have yeah. a niche, you're not going to make it in this business. That's just what it is now. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. So, and I, I didn't tell you, I didn't tell my full story either. So when I switched my business, I was a team leader. I was listing homes myself. I was running an investment company and I was a broker with a new um, national franchise. And so I had so much on my plate. I was a mess. And my, my wife can attest to this. I was going crazy. I worked 60 hour weeks and uh, my current partners have had a lot of patience with me trying to sort of figure out where I've been going. But um, yeah, you've got to focus in and, and go deep with one thing because that allows you to put the other things on autopilot and be instead of an operator and investor in the other aspects of your. But on paper, it looked good though. Case? It yeah. looks like you're flying well, on top was, of the world. You got 14 agents, you got your own office, fifth year in the business, you guys are doing 140 transactions. But be honest, you were miserable, weren't you? Yeah, I, I did not. Like <laughs> <laughs> this happens all the time, man. I see myself doing that. I, I got caught in this rut two years ago when I was like, why am I taking on? And I was like, should I be doing? I didn't know. Like, I even an itch two years ago. I was like, should I do video marketing? Should I do this? What was I doing? I found myself doing a lot of things. And when you spread yourself too thin like that, you end up doing everything really bad versus yeah. anything really good. I hear the question a lot too. Like, what do I pick? And I think the interesting thing is it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. 
right? Because if you if we talk about your marketing business, because it's a little different than a real estate agent, right? You could have focused on video. You could focus on you know, rebranding agents, being a consultant as opposed to a long-term relationship. You could have dove into any of those aspects and they would have all worked if you put your time into it. Totally. Um, and so that's the great thing about, you know, real estate investment world, agent world. If you choose a niche, whether it's REO, coaching team leaders, if you can really put your time into something, twice the effort makes you four times as good. Spend time on that one particular aspect of your business. Walk me through this principles of this book, because I think this is beneficial. Um, because was it after you read the 80-20 book that you made this decision, then you did your taxes? Is that what sort of woke you up? So I think um, people will get a lot of that on where you should focus your time. Because it had a lot to do with where you're at today, right? Yeah. So I, I've read it a couple times. Now, the 80-20 principle, you might say, well, I'll read 20% of the book and get 80% of the results out of it, which is really what it's saying. Right when I started my team and I Basically, I'm going to back up for a second. I'll kind of explain what the 80-20 principle is. And let's just talk about like road traffic. So, Mike, you live in a big city. Where are you? You're in, are you in San LA? San Diego. Are you in San Diego? Okay. So, I'm, I'm in a little town in Grand Ra or West Michigan. So, this works really well. So, if we look at our nation as a whole and we look at the 80% of the traffic, that's going to land on 20% of the roads. So, if we take the, I don't know, 10 million vehicles in the United States, 80% of that 10 million vehicles is going to be on only 20% of the roads. And that's really fascinating, but then it gets even more interesting when we realize that 80% of the 80% of the cars are on 20% of the 20% of the roads, which if you do the math on that, 95% of the traffic sits on 5% of the roads. And then you, of course you can go further where it's 99.1 and you see it everywhere in nature. You see it in the diversification of the environment, the way politicians present their information. You have extreme right, extreme left, and there's not a lot in the middle. That's all the 80-20 rule. So the idea of 80-20 sales and marketing is how do you take your time and your money and put your 80% of your time into the best portion? Because the problem is you and I might make good money, but 80% of our time is still going towards eight, 10 and $20 per hour activities. So if we can chop that out and spend it in areas that's really productive. We're going to see our income increase drastically. So, and work less is what you're saying too. Say that once more and not work as hard or as much, yeah. right? Spend more yeah, time so with your family and do the things you actually want to do in life. Yep. And, and so this is a, it might be, might be valuable to pull up a screen share a little bit later. Maybe you can share this in your, in like your show notes or something like that. But if you look at the sales production of, let's say any real estate office. So let's say there's a hundred agents in the office. You're going to see a curve that looks something like this. So my arm is flat. And at the very end, there's the big giant producers over here, right? Yeah. So you've got the team that does 300 sales. And then at the very end, you got the guy that sells one or two sales. Now, this is the 80-20 curve. So it's not, it's not a straight line. It, it's extremely tail heavy. Now, what you'll notice is um, that one agent, the very top agent's likely to do twice as much as the second most producing agent in the office. And so you see the 80-20 rule in just daily life of, of agent to agent business. So that person that's doing that has learned how to leverage that 80-20 rule in a way that's more fractal, right? So it's 95-5 or 99-1. Um, and so the idea is it's not like I'm twice as good 
or I'm not myself, but that agent isn't twice as good as the person that's in the middle. They're like 16 times better or 32 times better. And that's, that's not, I'm a better agent. They just learn how to manage their time. They've learned how to outsource or pass on the, the small $8 per hour task to the admin inside their office. So they're 30 times more effective with their time, not just twice or three times more effective. So it's a, it's a very powerful principle. That is really well put how you uh, laid that out. And I want to go back now to your, your story. So when you were the broker owner, you were this guy, you're that guy, there's not enough time in the day to be good at all of those businesses is what you're saying. And to be good at all of those roles. And when you reversed engineered it and you're like, look at your, at your numbers, you realize that only five hours a week you're spending on your investing business. And that was what was creating what 80% of your income or you said so like, half, half yep. your income. Yep. It's really interesting. Uh, and it's a really, really good way to look at it. I'm thinking about my own stuff right now. And I think you're, you're right. I'm, I'm thinking of my own, this COVID thing works so much on the business that like right now, I feel like I have way more time than I ever had before because I focused and outsourced those things. But for real estate agents, there's so many things that people do. How many of you guys are doing all your own paperwork? How many people right now are editing your damn videos instead of hiring a real estate marketing dude? That's a time suck. You think you're going to make money becoming a video editor? That is a non-money making activity. That's why a company like us exists. But you have to determine what those are for you. Maybe you like editing. Great. That's really, really interesting. I love that. Yeah. So now let's take it, let's take it one thing further. And this, yeah, this is really cool. So yeah, keep I, I don't know how many clients you have, Mike, but let's say you have a hundred clients. Now, inherently, you're going to have uh, two aspects. So I'm actually going to turn it around and I'm going to say, what are your biggest time wasters of your clients? So your worst client, and I hate saying it, but you, there are people you shouldn't be hiring, Mike, right? That client, if you take that hundred and you line it up again, you pick the person at the very end. Now you've chosen your very least production based upon an opposite 80-20 rule. So you can look at that. That one person of your hundred probably causes half your problems. Interesting. So if you and have 100 clients, that, no, you're that right. You're 100 percent right. Half your problem solving time. Let's put it into real estate context. You're basically saying, yeah. all right. So I'm gonna 55 year old seller that won't allow showings on the weekends. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's the person that's rude to you that challenges everything that you say. So if you do, I um, mean, the average agent spend you know does let's say 12 transactions a year. One of their transactions is going to take at least half the time throughout the year. It's the person that You're started right. overpriced, that was it was kind of rude when you met with them, um, unreasonable, that didn't listen to the professional's opinion. That one client is going to take more time than everybody else has put together. Not to mention burning you out, which is the mo which is, you know, like when you're burnt out, that's the worst thing that can happen mm -hmm. to any of us yeah. because uh, you're just, it, it screws up the experience for the next client and so on and so on. Plus your motivation and everything. Yeah. Super duper interesting. Walk us through like how you started. This is where everyone's going to say is like, what do you mean guys? I need that deal. Like, no, I'm going to take the $500,000 listing because let's be honest, the average agent does six sides a year. So there's a lot more people out there that need that business than don't need it and they can pass it up on. So how do you really butt that? Case, I need that deal. I have to take it on a guy. I could deal with this guy for next, you know. So I've fallen into that trap a lot where I've taken, I still do it. You know, that's the thing. You know, just because I've, I've realized I, I have the ability to leverage my 80-20 rule doesn't mean I've, I've mastered it. Um, I screw up every day and make all sorts of mistakes. I took a listing for a friend of mine that 
I shouldn't have taken. It's overpriced. <laughs> um, and he's a nice guy. I never hear from him. He doesn't complain, which is why I took it. But I should have said, no, 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 it's overpriced. But to get past it, if you get that person, just remember that worst case client, right? That person, Aunt Betty, that didn't have internet, they had to drive to her home to get the addendum signed, that overpriced and expired twice with you and yet somehow you still listed it. You know, you spent three hours a week for the whole year, 150 hours of the year trying to sell it, and then you made no money at all. She's the person that you, you dreaded answering the phone call. If you think of that and you have a little bit of a red flag where, oh, this, this client's gonna be a pain, say no, you know? And I, I'll ask the question to my, um, to my friends, like, what if you could make 80% as much money but work half as much? You know, and the thing is that that's what common sense says. Like, let's cut our worst 20% of our clients. Well, that, you know, mathematics are going to say that we're going to make 20% less, but it's not true because cutting your worst 20% means you're going to work half as much because you've cut your most time consuming client and it's going to give you time to do either spend time with your family or find more clients that you can spend time with where you can then have more earning potential um, instead of working for the a lousy $8 per hour client, you can spend on an, on an easy, fun investor or easy seller. That's great. Great, 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 great advice. So let's switch gears a little bit. I think you guys focusing on money-making activities is what we're seeing, folks, and getting rid of everything else that doesn't equate or things that you can outsource. It might make sense to spend a couple thousand dollars on something that you don't need to do um, each and every year, right? But how do, we how do we sort of focus and determine, how do we niche down though? Because you, it's not niching down, we're talking about clientele, but let's talk about offering, right? Like you went from, I don't want to take every listing to, I'm going to work on investment type deals and I'm going to chase a set demographic. Like I'm guessing that when you chase out properties and you're looking for properties to purchase, you're, you're chasing a very set demographic. Like it's whether you're going after probate, divorce, but I bet you that you have a niche within what you're chasing too. Yeah, because yeah. we're talking about the one thing. This, like, this is the Gary Keller book we talked about before we got on. If you guys haven't read that book, it's an awesome book too to read. It had a lot to do. Is like everyone does one thing well. Everyone only does one thing well. And you can only make it if you do one thing well. How do you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, part of it, you can look backwards and, and find out what's worked. And you can either determine what's been working for you or find something that's been working for somebody else. And, I mean, we can start sort of broad and then, you know, look at our funnel itself. So we do um, marketing. I run eight lead sources. Um, every quarter, I drop one lead source and I pick up a second. So I, I'm basically rotating my worst performing with my best to ensure that we're constantly dropping our money in the right buckets. And so that analysis of our leads is really important. But what it means is that I'm constantly moving our leads to the correct clientele. And so to kind of get to what our leads look like, which I'm happy to review, let's look at the average person. So this year we'll probably do 55 or 60 flips. Um, our average person is almost retired, blue collar worker. Either they have their home paid off or they have tremendous debt. Um, there's often medical or divorce issues. Um, sometimes it's probate. Most of the time, so you have, you have three things for us that we look and the more you can get them to overlap the better. So the very first one is familial distress. So like if you're going through a divorce, if you have emotional issues, like 
I just had a baby. <laughs> that makes me emotionally distraught, right? So any, anytime, anytime you have a familial upset, that's good for the distressed world. Um, it, it's probably good for listening too. The life second, changes, life events. Yeah, the second, so life events, exactly. I mean, you can probably say anything, married, divorced, having baby, all of that. The second thing is property distress. So this property distress is, think driving for dollars. So when you think of the, the average ugly home, the one with the bad roofing shingles, um, the overgrown lawn, unpaid taxes, that's more of the financial side. But um, anytime the home looks ugly, if you think investor property, that's the other one. So first, familial distress. Second, property distress. And third is financial distress. Oftentimes, it's easy to think that the second and third, your financial and property distress go hand in hand, but that's often not the case because you sometimes get somebody that's disabled, that's elderly, that has nothing, that they want nothing to do with fixing the home. Yep. So if you can overlap all three of those, you're going to have a very qualified seller that wants to sell quickly. Um, so as an agent, looking outside of my business, if so you you're can saying you can get seller leads because no one's figured that out uh, yet, but it's yeah. all the targeting guys. Why do rehabbers pick up listing leads every freaking day, but an agent can't find one? Just, yeah. It just makes no sense. But, yeah. and, and here's like the crazy it. thing, Mike. I offer 75% on the dollar and we turn leads down at 85. Hmm. So we're in a different market than, than some, but if we're not buying at 80% of the dollar, you know, sometimes we'll go 80 or 82% of the dollar if, it, if it's a very fast turn. Um, if it doesn't take a lot of rehab, if it's like an 80s or 90s ranch as opposed to something that's 40s, 50s, or 60s. But yeah, we're getting severely discounted properties because they have to sell. And that, that's the interesting thing when I compare it to a business, I'm sorry, a real estate business, the traditional world, the retail world is just separate from the investment world because totally. they'll. it's very unlikely they list because they're going to lose their home in two weeks. That's the perspective they have. So to go further though, that's what our average client looks like is they have familial, financial, or property distress. So then we can work backwards and craft what these houses look like. So we know they're blue collar. We know they make between twenty dollars and $40,000 a year. We know where they live. Most of the time it's owner occupied. Sometimes it is vacant. We can also look at the home itself. So I'm looking for properties between two and four bedroom that are between one and two bath that are valued under $150,000. And we prefer nothing older than the 40s because it's just too hard to work on unexpected renovation costs. So that's how we like, we narrowed that whole funnel down until we knew exactly what our product looked like. And now all we do is try to build lead pipelines that just dump in that existing system we've created. Folks, when you guys are, um, I mean, this goes back to Dan Kennedy days, like any of the info markers and whether it's direct mail or anything, but they have all said the same thing since the dinosaurs went extinct is that lead generation, the number one thing, you could have the best offer in the world. Like you could have the best pizza in the world, but, or you could have the best steak in the world. But if you put it in bunch of a, in front of a bunch of fucking vegans, you're not going to sell anything. Right? So the targeting is always the entire thing. So I want to put this into perspective for some other people because he's an investor. So he reverse engineered his audience on uh, who it is. Cause he, he spent the time to look at it. But for those of you that are just traditional agents, you could do this very easily because you could always niche down on a demographic. Typically, the last 10 clients look just like you. That's why you drink beers with them is because you naturally attract like people. So like when I did this for my market, for my residential business, that's when I turned into the Chicago real estate dude. I just said, I looked at my clients, same thing. I'm like, these are uh, 
who's my tribe? Like, who do I really like working with? And it was uh, ages 33 to about 44 years of age, young families. And all of those different demographics had no problem with the dude thing. I totally mm-hmm. turned off a lot of people, but I knew exactly how to talk and who to speak to. And that was just from building a brand. But let's take the same principle into a taco restaurant. Let's say I moved to San Diego and I didn't start real estate marketing, dude. I started a taco stand because that's what Mexicans do. We eat tacos, right? And I know how to eat tacos. We do it every damn Sunday. And if I was going to start a taco stand here, the very first thing I would do is research who the hell buys tacos and where and what opportunities have the most amount of ability to sell the most amount of tacos. Chances are, you guys are familiar with San Diego, is a town called Pacific Beach, which is where all the 18, 19, 20, 23 year olds hang out till four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to sell the most amount of tacos in that location. So I would probably open up there, right? Because I would have to reverse engineer who drives my business. It's the same principle. And we're, we're talking about it with virtually anything. Go ahead, Case. Yeah. So I was going to say, I talked about this book earlier, but Perry Marshall's 80-20 sales and marketing, he gives an awesome analogy. So I'm going to probably butcher it. So read the book yourself. Um, But he talks about what's called raking the shotgun. So you've heard it before. It's the traditional movie sound. So I'll give you the analogy. So imagine, uh, Mike, that you and I are going to a bar and I'm trying to teach you how to cheat playing cards. So at this bar, there's a bunch of people drinking, you know, it's the 1900s, um, early American bar and they're playing cards. So the way to determine who you play cards with is to walk in with a shotgun and underneath the table without anybody looking at is rack the shotgun and see who looks at you. That's who you don't want to play with. <laughs> and I love that analogy because you can do it two ways, right? You can qualify your audience by either disqualifying them or qualifying them. And often disqualification is the very easiest method of determining who's your qualified audience. So like if you're looking at, you know, make it very simple, Facebook target audience, you can include homeowners, but you can exclude whatever that audience might be, um, right? If you've determined that your, you know, marketing dude, in fact, I like this too, because the real estate marketing dude is raking the shotgun. You're probably not going to get a 55-year-old woman that, no, I don't. you know, that's an old school country lady working blue, with the marketing the dude. Blue hairs? Call you've raked hairs. the shotgun to your audience. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really cool, I love I, that analogy though. The, no, you're, you're exactly right because I have to, I target people who also, one of the narrowing audiences I do are people who also like Gary Vee or also yeah. like Grant Cardone, people who are just vocal like that might swear a little bit because I, I know that's my tribe. It's just how yeah. I am. So like what we're getting at folks is that everyone has a niche no matter what your business is. Everybody has one. But the reason why four out of five agents go out of business is because you become a generalist and therefore you resonate with zero. Mm-hmm. And it's no different than lead generation. You have two different ways to acquire business in real estate. You either attract it or you chase it. If you're attracting yeah. it, your, 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 your messaging is usually based upon your personality, your personal brand. But for lead generation, you have to niche down. Like if we were going to go into, um, let's just pick another uh, market so we could go. Let's go into mortgage. First time buyers. If you're going to create and first time buyers is all you work with and you're a mortgage broker or mortgage lender, you would probably have to, we could already start going back and creating the content. And I already know what the audience is. What's a first time buyer. They're typically under the age of 35 or 40, right? They're not above that age. Um, They might have a family. First time buyers typically have a life event, right? That's why they're buying their first house. So like Mm -hmm. you'd, you'd create the same profile is what I'm getting at um, you guys, but you have to have a niche. Otherwise you don't have a business. Yeah. And then you get a general. 
Yeah, and then you got to know how to reach them, right? Yes. So that, that's really important. So if, if you're the lender reaching out to first-time home buyers, you've got a hundred different methods of reaching your audience and, and defining. And this is why a lot of people ask, like, what lead source do I use? That's not really an answerable question because if you don't, if I don't know what you're doing and who your typical client looks like, it's, it's impossible to answer. It would be it'd be silly for the first-time home buyer to choose a lender to choose like radio advertising right? Because it's very unlikely that your typical talk audience on radio is going to be a 35-year-old first-time home buyer. They're, they're going to be blue-collar, 55-plus. You know, it's, it's a very different person than might be on Instagram or TikTok or whatever your, uh, your, your younger marketing looks like. So crafting the offering to your audience is, is that second part to, to reaching them. I'm curious to know this is off the subject, but because you're in the distressed market, I'm curious to get your take coming from West Michigan on what's going to happen with the coronavirus. And uh, are you anticipating a lot of distressed assets coming through the beginning of the next year, first quarter of 2021? Or are you thinking it's going to hit the end of this year? What's the, what's the prediction on this? I don't know. I, I got to be honest. I, I think things are going to happen. But because the government's given funds away previously in the last, what was it, $2 trillion or something like that? Yeah. Um, because the government's giving money away, uh, I think we're going to see adjustments in terms of federally backed Freddie Fannie Mac mortgages. So even if they go delinquent, there's a lot of people that are not paying their mortgage right now and won't be able to when their mortgage is due because they've deferred the payment. But I think when that deferment becomes due, the mortgages are going to either be forced to adjust their mortgage or manually choose to do so because they they don't want that many to go into default versus a repeat. Yep. Yep. So I, I don't, I mean, it, it's not going to be 2008. Um, I wasn't an agent in 2008. I'm no economic expert, but I do think we're going to see a, a wave of foreclosures. However, I think the majority we're going to see adjustments in the mortgage that maybe are going to increase short sales, but not a lot of uh, REO situations. So yeah, they don't want to take the assets back. Yeah. I'm not an, we're buying like crazy though. I mean, that's the thing. So I wouldn't upgrade my home right now. I'll say that as a, as a personal buyer, I would not buy a very, very expensive home, but we're buying investment properties multiple per month. So, yep. They were cool. All right, dude, what else do you want? Any other uh, final thoughts that you want to uh, add in? I think you really dwindled down and gave us a really good lesson today and how we uh, zero in on not only who we serve, but what we do, which also leads to how we market that. But you're right. Everything falls around the exact same rule and same principles. Uh, I learned a couple of things today myself, stuff I know, but just you just sort of rewoke me up to it. It's pretty cool. Um, what other closing thoughts you want to uh, add on here, Case? Yeah. Real estate's simple. It's a challenging business. It's not a hard business to understand. You know, Determine what's making you money and what's not. And don't pay for things for your ego. Pay for things because they make you money, right? I, I don't need to be the guy that it's on billboards and looks really big. Um, I want to be, I want to spend time with my family and have investments that, that pay for themselves. So yeah, don't buy for ego. Yeah. Makes sense. Very, very good advice and advice well needed in our industry because we are an ego business. Um, one of those, I'll, I'll tell you quick, my one ego thing I was making fun of myself a couple of weeks ago is I used to spend a thousand dollars a year on an ad in the newspaper that would just was advertised to other real estate agents in my own market just to float my own ego. I would spend a thousand dollars like, Hey, look guys. And then I would thank the world for putting me on it publicly on, and I paid for it. 
that's called uh, ego metrics. And uh, fortunately, a lot of people will pay more to tell people and let the world know what they do versus say it themselves. So folks, we uh, awesome, awesome episode. Take this advice, apply it to your business. And if you need any other advice, especially when it comes to video, you can reach out to us. We will help you script, edit, and distribute your content. I'll give you the scripts. All you got to do is shoot the videos. Unless you're lazy, it probably won't work for you. But if you're not lazy and you really want to build a personal brand and you don't know what to say or how to do it, well, that's where Real Estate Marketing Dude comes in. So come on and visit our website. We'll build your personal brand with video content and start attracting clients and not leads. And it's a lot easier than you think. Visit us at realestatemarketingdude.com. That's realestatemarketingdude.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us. Connect with us on Instagram and on Facebook. But as always, thank you folks for listening to another episode. Take the information you've learned here today and actually apply it. Don't sit with it. And um, the world is yours. You just have to go out there and grab it. There's a lot of opportunity out there. But sometimes you need help and a kick in the ass. And uh, we're here to do that for you. So, Case, we appreciate you, dude. Really good episode. And thank you, uh, we'll, we'll see you guys on next week's episode of Real Estate Marketing Dude. Peace! Today's episode may be over, but we have plenty more to keep you busy. To get your complete blueprint for building out a real marketing plan for your real estate business, head over to realestatemarketingdude.com and see if you have what it takes to really become more than just a typical agent. Are you the next real estate marketing dude? Find out here next time on Real Estate Marketing Dude.